0: Hi, welcome to Revenue Marketing Television, live, CMO Insights Edition. I'm your host, Jeff Pedowitz, President and CEO of Pedowitz Group. Today we have a longtime friend and colleague, Ben Lazar, who's Chief Marketing and Product Officer at PaceBank. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. Great having you. We were just reflecting, I think it's coming on about 10 or 11 years now, Mm when we first met. Uh, Arrow, right? Yeah, Arrow uh,
1: yeah, Electronics, when I was running marketing yeah.
0: So you were at the Forefront. I think you were one of the very first customers that's invested in marketing automation and Demand Gen. Over the last 10-15 years, we've seen a lot of change. So in your mind, what's changed the
1: most? So I think one of the keys is that um, marketing automation has really matured to the point where it's not just outbound marketing, but it's really a lot of the progressive organizations and solution providers have really taken a much more digital approach. Um, As the kind of marketing automation wave has matured, most organizations are really kind of looking at their digital uh, strategy and marketing automation has really become a component of that. So some of the solution providers out there are doing a much better job at integrating a broader digital approach versus just the outbound side. They're also integrating the inbound side, the social side, and the content side.
0: So are you thinking differently about your marketing department today than you were five years ago, ten years ago?
1: Vastly differently. So um, kind of if you, if you really break it down, in, in the past, you really kind of looked at broad marketing database, kind of cleansing and managing list information to try to do outbound marketing. Now really the focus for our strategy is how do we identify specific target individuals based on ideal customer profiles. And then within those ideal customer profiles, utilize the defined personas. And we just recently did a very large persona project to identify five very specific buyers of the solution set types that we deliver into the marketplace. And then utilizing your marketing automation engine to build campaigns of one. And not just one prospect, but down to the one individual who might help you influence an opportunity, and down to the one individual who might be the actual decision maker.
0: It's a huge change, and right? everyone talks about personalization at scale, but it's got to be really hard to do. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so what um, things are you doing from process standpoint, people standpoint, technology standpoint? Because we couldn't even do think about doing yes. this
1: five, ten years ago. Though. Yeah, it's vastly different now because. A lot of the engines and tool sets they use, and we were just talking about the proliferation of new categories, uh, enables you to feed different information from different types of sources that enable you to tell different types of buying indicators and different types of movement within an organization that may be publicly available or may be available through some type of subscription source. So as a great example, you know, you may um, integrate some of your information into LinkedIn or GSEC filings. A lot of different sources that can drive a decision making engine and I think that that whole decision making process is still very much in its infancy because it doesn't really work that great yet but it's working better and the whole objective is really one very simple focal point. It's when your rep gets on the phone or communicates via other methodology social or email to an individual that they have some conversation starter, some pieces of information, that will increase the rates of response by that potential prospect. So, you know, everyone talks
0: about Amazon being so customer-focused, and there's legends about how Jeff Bezos has an empty chair in his boardroom at every meeting, and that's supposed to represent the customer. So they, they were really working hard to make sure that their the customer voice is mm-hmm. included in the decision. What do you guys do at to, PaceFan to, to replicate that or do something different? Yep.
1: So not to one-up Jeff, but because I couldn't, but really our focus when we discuss campaigns and markets and personas is we're looking at our customer's customer. So we're looking at how they're engaging their customer because ostensibly you're hired to do a specific job, to execute a specific function inside of a workflow that completes a specific task for an organization. And that task is usually designed around either an operational execution or delivery of some type of service to their customer. So when we look at what we're providing and how we're messaging, we focus on the customer's customer. And an example of that is if you provide some type of service and you articulate what that service is, but not what it does for the customer's customer, then you're leaving yourself significantly short in what you're delivering or articulating its value. So if you can identify what that customer's customer is seeking to achieve from their experience from that organization, you're likely going to get more people willing to engage with you because your message is going to be much
0: higher value. That's fascinating. So is there anything specific that you're doing to be able to get this information?
1: Uh, so I'd say we're in the very early stages in the infancy of it. but So we just made a migration uh, to HubSpot and there are other tools that I'm sure can can encapsulate these types of functions. But essentially HubSpot allows us to take, I would call them today, low level inputs as the other tools because we evaluate lots of tools. Lower level inputs around movements of specific prospects and specific individuals inside of those prospects. So it may be job movements, it may be financial reporting, uh, it may be social posting that they're doing uh, and utilizing that information so that when a rep decides to go prospect to that individual or there's some type of inbound or outbound lead activity that the rep can actually see that in a really simple easy to use kind of platform and then giving that rep the opportunity to pull from very specific and well curated templates that they can utilize to do their reach out whether it's phone, email or some type of social outreach as long as they have a really well-targeted message that's crafted based on specific research that's tuned to response rates, you know, overall you're going to get a better level of, uh, of response rate and re- revenue generation.
0: How much are your reps in your organization doing social selling?
1: I would say extremely limited. So in in our situation, we have a very tightly defined market audience, uh, and our market audience is in the numbers of hundreds. So we don't have thousands of prospective clients. We deal with very large entities who are enterprise uh, organizations uh, in the insurance market space, in the medical side. And selling to them is a very long cycle and you have to really invest a lot of money in each individual lead and opportunity. So when you go after those folks, typically the social platform in an enterprise environment is we've found not to be the most Productive environment. It's typically one-on-one. There's a lot of physical event activity integrated with digital marketing Content marketing and a lot of educational phase type of marketing This is a lot of people know you know if you're in the consumer space or you're in a short cycle low dollar-value sell You can sell very quickly and you can really go right to a deal and try to get close to a closed online transaction in an enterprise environment, the amount of due diligence and integration work and pre sales work that has to go into it is vastly different. So, our selling is still both a combination of digital and physical presence selling. It's really interesting. So, switching gears a little bit, we were
0: talking before the interview your oldest daughter's getting married. Congratulations. Actually, my youngest daughter. The youngest daughter, sorry. sorry youngest. No, she really has her act together. Yes. She's 19. So, I was just starting to think um, what were you like? At nineteen, or in at least in the early stages of your career, and then knowing what you know now, what would you go back and how would you advise yourself differently?
1: So, at nineteen, it was about beer and beer and girls. So um, that you know, fortunately, I, coming through college, I matured a little bit and was able to get into a very um, opportunity-rich environment. I had a couple uh, people take me under their wing, and I started out actually not in the i am sorry—in the marketing world. I started out in the e-commerce world back in the early '90s. Uh, building an application uh, in COBOL, writing COBOL code and writing help screens and deploying an application. There's pages, pages, looking for the period, right? That Absolutely, all the, zeros, yeah, yes. all the syntax, <laughs> yeah. but building a simple online application to do inventory, availability checking, order status, and placing orders, which back then was, was really advanced technology and it was all dial up and modem access. But what I realized at that point was, in building that application and deploying it out into the marketplace and driving people away from paper to an electronic platform in the in the early '90s, uh, that there was a, re- a very significant future across all digital platforms inside of lots of businesses in different uh, industries. And I matured from that to grow into the marketing, sales, and product side because. I, while I was technical and I was writing code and I was deploying an application, I was really selling a concept, which was stopping a workflow of paper and um, basically telephone and getting on a computer, which back then, particularly in the industry, I was in the manufacturing space, hard goods industry, you know, a lot of blue collar folks, not very uh, computer literate. Um, or so computer, it like AS400. well there were PCs, but they were, you know, really low level type of stuff and, you know, going out and teaching people how to use a very simple basic application. A lot of people it was the first computer application they'd ever used in their life uh, and then growing from there and migrating and starting to take orders over the internet in 1995 and actually going to places and saying, you can access us via the internet and having to go through and tell people what the internet was. Um, and then from there, it just grew into the more into the marketing side because I was able to sell concepts and build value propositions, which is where I've made made my career since. So you're a future marketer in waiting. Like yes, yeah, engineer, yeah, yeah.
0: I get it because I started off in engineering, which was really known as pre-business. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I, 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 anyway. so um, younger kids coming out now, I've talked to a lot of different executives about different management styles. What's been your experience? I mean, is it is it different, managing uh, some of the younger generation?
1: Yeah, it absolutely is. But I think that there are ways that um, if you understand and work with the younger generation in different cadences, that they are extremely um, productive. And they also understand the newer platforms that their generation are evaluating solutions and buying from. So we're in the middle of a, a real sea change in how the future decision makers and influencers are gonna be buying and evaluating solutions. And what i found is that less hierarchical and more team focused type work, uh, team goal setting and team activity and team um, kind of focus towards a specific goal. And I've seen a lot of the younger generation more goal oriented versus title and position oriented. And at the end of the day, I really think that people are still similar while a lot of the platforms are changing, that it breaks down to three very basic fundamentals, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. The younger generation is very much tuned into autonomy. um, Whereas my generation, your generation uh, strives for it, but maybe expects it less. Autonomy is a huge and important thing for the younger generation. And they don't work in cycles of the the way that we work in traditional day times. They work in very different cycles, and I find myself working in those cycles as well. It's almost like creative bursts of activity, doing a bunch of things, and then there's these
0: lull periods, and they're doing other things.
1: Yeah, Um, and sometimes those lull periods are in the middle of the day, and traditional work structures don't accommodate those well. Yeah, we've noticed that.
0: (laughs) So, what do you think is next on the horizon for, for marketing? I mean, people talk about AI and ABM, I mean, is there another trend coming?
1: You know, I, I think that AI and machine learning um, is going to have a lot more application in the operational side of the business before it's going to have application in the marketing side of the business effectively. So we're going to see a lot more uh, automated AI digital assistance. And we're already seeing that significantly. I mean, if you go into your local grocery store, um, most of the grocery store is self-checkout or personal checkout or no checkout, excuse me. And the actual human being checkout is, is minimized. So we're seeing that change, you know, self-driving vehicles, uh, are coming very soon, probably the next three to five years and my next car, I'm not buying a car until I can buy one that I can walk in and push a button. Because I trust the software better than I trust myself. Well, one of the things I don't know that we've gotten to yet, but we will as a as a as humanity is how do we start to interact between emotional interactions versus just operational interactions between people and machines? So I think there's there's some significant um, gap to be made up there, um, probably in the latter part of my lifetime, but things are gonna get kind of weird. So uh, I don't think that, I'll see that a lot, and I may have a hard time interacting with non-human beings at a human level, but other generations will embrace it. It's interesting that you say that, because uh, I, was, I was
0: talking to a few of my colleagues last week, and a couple of them were kind of like futurists, and one of them was given a Terminator type of prognosis that he was saying you know, in a couple of years, it's actually gonna be AI marketing to AI. So, that we need less marketers because AI is going to figure out the messaging, the campaigns, the channels. And on the receiving end, the AI has the screening criteria of whatever the customer is looking for. And basically, the two machines are going to talk to each other. Yeah. And,
1: and what, what do you think
0: about that? Will that really happen?
1: Um, I wouldn't make any prognosis of that because I think the place where people are most needed is in the evaluation of strategy and the execution of strategy. Below that, as you get more operational, you can move machines to make those decisions because they're, they're functional decisions. Um, I think it's going to be less like that than we anticipate in the short term. And As, as usual, we over, always overestimate a technology's short-term impact and underestimate its long-term impact. But uh, at some point, I just don't know if the people are needed at all. That's kind of scary. Probably.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, regardless of I'm not interested really in your political affiliation, I am interested in your input as a marketer. Mm-hmm. Um, politics changing the channels it's using. You know what roles is working find How's that shaping how candidates and politicians communicate with,
1: with voters? So it's it, it's interesting. The whole concept of influence is really changing a lot, um, and that it, when you start to drive down to that campaign of one the, to, to get into the individual that's where I think you'll probably start to see AI really and machine learning impact marketing or in this, in this environment how a potential candidate would communicate with an actual voter the real challenge is going to be with the voter how they're going to disseminate what's reality, what's true um,
0: oh, especially when you have all different kinds of foreign bodies trying to influence that. So how do you know what's real and what's
1: not? So what I I personally hope to see in the future is that people who work in government become completely apolitical and focus only on one thing, and that is to deliver services that provide an economic environment where people can grow and prosper, and that the people ultimately themselves will make the social decisions so that we can remove the politics and it becomes solely um, an objective of service for elected officials, and then individuals. And as we become more electronic in our society, we can speed the um, kind of, the feelings or the opinions of people, and that our opinions as a society would determine the politics. I mean, I think it's
0: a bit of an arms race, right? Because even outside of yeah. politics, I've seen stories now where, um, TripAdvisor or Amazon, uh, where it's, you know, it's supposed to be self regulating there's a lot of vendors that are paying people to just write fake reviews, so sure. they could get their four stars or five stars, mm-hmm. and then they get more traffic, and so then they get more business, and there's this constant cycle of, you put something out there that's supposed to be for the betterment of society and provide real transparent feedback, then you always mm-hmm. have someone trying to break the rules. Yeah. And so you're just like, good guy versus bad guy, but now I'm in a new channel.
1: Well, the bad guys usually figure out how to break the system sooner than the good guys figure out how to use it. That's typically how it works, particularly in user-based feedback and environments where individuals are inputting their opinions. So it's great, the social environments are great because you can start to really get people's opinions and input, but it's getting really difficult to sift through a lot of that. That's why I think that an environment where AI is going to be more prevalent, but I think that the human side of things, particularly in the space of technology and technology construction and distribution of solutions, I really have a hard time seeing in the near term AI drastically impacting that element. Um, They could unduly or duly influence people as they start to make decisions, but at the end of the day, I think peer review and peer input is going to be one of the most important things, particularly in an, in, a, in an enterprise environment. And you know, in the consumer world, things are a lot different. It's a lot easier to cheat the system. There's a lot more people involved. But when you're in an enterprise environment, you know, peer review is still the most important thing. And, and you're done with the buying center, and they all have different opinions and viewpoints. So yeah. the procurement process will become much will become mechanized. So price don't, tell, don't tell them that. Yeah. They don't, they don't price that. pressure will become extremely, you know, so there will be price compression, you know, and, and pricing and renegotiation and contract. You know, that, that stuff can really be put through machine learning and AI because those are things that can be evaluated in the marketplace in at least a semi automated way and ultimately a fully automated way. So that will keep people honest and make it a little bit more challenging as a vendor. So, we as vendors will have to get a lot more efficient in what we build and distribute into the marketplace because uh, it will become commoditized more quickly by these AI and machine learning tools. Some big predictions there. So, Ben,
0: as always, it's a, it's a pleasure talking to you. Mm-hmm. Great insights on the industry. Really appreciate being
1: on the Thanks, you. Jeff. Appreciate it.